0: Have you ever heard of Claiborne, C.P. Ellis, and Ann Atwater? In the 1960s in Durham, North Carolina, Mr. Ellis was the leader of the KKK, and Mrs. Atwater was a civil rights activist. And because of that, they sort of knew of each other. In other words, or in their own words rather, they hated each other. Uh, They had cussed at each other, yelled at each other, said things about each other. They did not have a good relationship for all the obvious reasons. Uh, Fast forward to 2005, before Mr. Ellis passed away, Mr. Ellis asked Mrs. Atwater to do the eulogy at his funeral, that they had become that close and that good of friends. And in fact, Mr. Ellis' daughter tells a story of something that happened at that funeral. Mrs. Atwater was sitting down in the front at the funeral home, sort of waiting for the funeral to start. and She was there early, and one of the funeral attendants walks up to her and says, ma'am, can I help you find where you need to be? And Mrs. Atwater said, well, I'm exactly where I need to be. And the attendant said, well, this is the funeral for Mr. Ellis. And Mrs. Atwater rather said, oh, I know. And the attendant said, ma'am, this is a family-only service. And Mrs. Atwater said, oh, I know. And the attendant said, can I ask how you're related to Mr. Ellis? And Mrs. Atwater said, he was my brother. Now, two very different people with very different views were able to connect and build a relationship. And the hope from that story is that if it's possible for them, maybe it's possible for us. Uh, Maybe you have some people who are hard to connect with. Uh, Maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a coworker or a neighbor. Maybe it's someone you're married to. Uh, Maybe it's a child that you have, or maybe it's a parent. We all have trouble connecting with at least some people, right? Uh, Coming through this pandemic, many of us have sort of weak connecting with people muscles, those sort of intangible mental and emotional muscles that sort of help you connect with people. And many of those muscles have sort of gotten weak or atrophied from not being exercised around people. And in this season where we sort of are starting to see more and more people in person and more often, all of us could probably use a refresher or or better yet exercise some of those muscles that help us connect with people. And in part one of the series, we looked at an interesting story with David, Nabal, and Abigail about payback. And commitment number one was, I will pay back good for evil. And then last week, we looked at what Paul said about conflict. And he knew about conflict really from every side of his life. And he said this in Romans 12, 18. He said, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And there's a part of the conflict that is the other person's responsibility. But there's also a part that depends on you. And that part isn't to sort of get revenge. Rather, Paul says, be empathetic. Uh, Be curious. Seek to understand the person you're in conflict with. Uh, Not that you have to agree with them. But like golfers who sort of walk around their putts to see them from a different perspective, so should we. So commitment number two is, I will take the long walk to the other person for peace. So what is your first step of empathy? Maybe it's a phone call or text or or an email. Uh, Maybe praying for the other person for a month. Or maybe praying for a month that God would help you to see that person the way he sees him or her. But at some point though, there will need to be a meeting or a conversation. Uh, For most of us, that's sort of like the least thing that we want to do. The last thing we want to do, rather. Uh, Which presents us a a bit of a challenge when it comes to the story about Mr. Ellis and Mrs. Atwater. And here's how they got to the place where we left that story. Because in North Carolina in 1971, the courts ordered the school system to integrate. The courts basically said, enough is enough. This is ridiculous. We're going to desegregate. And we're going to move kids into the same schools. And Mr. Ellis and Mrs. Atwater both said they never would have done it on their own. But they were forced to sit on this committee, to work on this problem together. And the committee lasted for two weeks, five business days each week, so ten days long. And in doing so, in those ten days, they had the opportunity to listen to each other. And they both took the walk of empathy towards the other person. They sort of sifted through the lies and the hate that they had believed, and they built a relationship. And in doing so, it changed everything, and they were able to connect with each other. And they went on to have a lifelong friendship. And the problem with that for you and for me is that, to some extent, they were forced to do that but no one is forcing you to do this. and No one's forcing you to sit down with him or with her. And in fact, some of you might say, yeah, no one is forcing me. In fact, I've got really good at dodging him. I could be at the same grocery store and never bump into her. I've gotten really good at avoiding them. I know just how to do it, right? And the last thing, the most inconvenient thing, the most uncomfortable thing is to actually sit down and have a conversation with them. Like, no thank you, right? Unfortunately, though, if you call yourself a Jesus follower, this is exactly what Jesus tells us we must do. And if you don't consider yourself a Jesus follower, the good news for you is that you don't have to do any of this. But if you follow Jesus, he has a command for us to do this in our relationships, especially with those with conflict. So we're going to start reading in Matthew chapter 18. You can follow along in the Bible app. If you don't have the Bible app, head to bible.com app. Once you're in the app, head to the more menu option in the bottom right corner, select events, and you can find our church We'll also have the notes and verses on the screen as well. And this is the way that Jesus says it in Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. If your brother or sister sins, like we all say, like, oh yeah, I have a situation where someone has sinned against me. And Jesus tells us what to do. He says, if your brother or sister sins, share about it in your life group as a prayer request. Not really. If your brother or sister sins, vaguely post about it on social media. I don't think Jesus commanded anyone to troll another person, right? But have you seen this happen? Because I have. Uh, Maybe it's this, if your brother or sister sins, eat all the ice cream you can because Ben and Jerry are the only friends you have left. No, what Jesus actually says is, if your brother or sister sins, go. And no one likes this and no one wants to do this, but Jesus says to go and have a conversation with that other person. And so here's my hope for today, and I hope we can sort of answer three huge questions from what Jesus says about dealing with conflict. Number one, when should I go? Number two, why should I go? Like, what should be my motivation? And number three, how should I approach, or how should I go? Because approach is everything, right? And Jesus talked about this a few times, uh, in Matthew specifically, once in chapter 18, and then before that in chapter 5, which is right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, one of the most famous sermons ever given. And if you've been around the teachings of Jesus, you know that Jesus sort of raised the standard on almost everything. And just before what we're about to read today, Jesus says, You've heard it said, don't murder. But I'm telling you, don't even be angry with your brother or sister. Don't be angry in a way that would cause you to say mean things or just sort of dismiss them or disregard them. Uh, Basically, you shouldn't tell someone, I'm done with you. And then he says this in Matthew 5, verse 23. So if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple to which most of us would say like, well, hold on and say, whoa, 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 like what does this have to do with me? That Jesus is using a culturally relevant illustration that doesn't really apply to us in the same way that it would back then. But we need to understand these illustrations to help us understand Jesus's point. So basically there was an altar for these people in Jerusalem and these people, no matter where they were, they would make this voyage to Jerusalem to go and make a sacrifice where they would sort of pay for, atone for, all of the sin they would committed that whole year. So it seems like an important day in that system, right? And this altar, this sacrifice, has massive meaning to Jesus' audience because of their desire to connect with God. That their desire to connect with God made them do what was necessary to make things right with God. And in our world, this this might be sort of like doing all the things you do to get ready to come to our Sunday gathering, or maybe it's like this sort of, you know, uh, as you get closer to get ready to go on a trip, and you sort of got all the child care lined up, and have the pet sitters ready, uh, all the sports practices and appointments are taken care of, you've planned your itinerary for the trip, and all the stuff you sort of need to do to get ready is ready to go. It's all ready. So imagine, verse 23, so if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple, and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you. Now, notice this is different from what Jesus said in Matthew 18, where he said, if your brother or sister sins against you, and now Jesus is saying, someone has something against you. You don't have something against someone else, they have something against you. And and basically, what do you do when it's your fault? And unfortunately, Jesus' answer is the same for both of these things. So if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar, at the temple, and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there, at the altar, and everyone in Jesus' audience would have sort of gasped, like, <gasps> and it would be sort of like getting ready to step on the plane to go on that trip, and all of a sudden you stop and say, we need to leave right now. Like, well, what happened? Did you forget the ticket? Did you forget something? Did our kids get in trouble? And you say, no, my co-worker's mad at me. Like, what? Oh, my mom's mad at me. My mom's frustrated with me. Like, what? Like, we'll deal with that later. Let's, we're going on this trip. But Jesus says, no. Leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. And the audience would have thought, like, this example was ridiculous. That's ridiculous, Jesus. Like, if you think that's ridiculous, then I think Jesus would say, then you're beginning to understand just how important this is. Because after they had sort of done all the preparation for this trip and for this sacrifice, it would seem silly to then just sort of leave it there. However, Jesus is making a statement about how important this is. And basically Jesus is saying, before making things right with God, make things right with others. And if you are watching or listening right now, or you're sort of hoping somehow that watching or listening to this church service will sort of make you right with God, it's as if Jesus is saying, don't worry about the vertical if you have horizontal problems with people around you. And so here's two questions for a pop quiz. Number one, when someone has sinned against you, what do you do? You go, Jesus says. Number two, When you have sinned against someone, what do you do? You go. That Jesus made it really simple for us. It's not as complicated and as complex as we make it. It doesn't matter who's wrong. You go. You don't have to assess blame. You don't have to diagnose the situation. You don't have to wait until you're ready. Technically, you don't even have to pray about it. You just go. That's the answer. And when you've been wronged, you take the first step. And when you've wronged others, you take the first step. Either way you go. And when you've been wronged, you take the first step, forgive. And when you've wronged, you take the first step, repent. And either way, you take the first step. Now you might ask, like, can I stop and ask someone for advice? Like, well, maybe so. Uh, Maybe you can stop and ask someone's advice on the way, but you go. Well, what if someone has sort of like been continuously hurt, right? Well, next week, we're going to talk about when and how to set up boundaries in your life. So, don't miss next week. But beyond that, whether you're in the wrong or whether you've been wronged, Jesus says you're supposed to go. Leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. And be reconciled basically equals making peace. And this is where you can do all that you can do to live at peace with them, to make peace. You really must have the desire for peace though, right? Uh, This isn't going to be something that you're going to be able to sort of beat down the other person, like literally or figuratively, and that's not the reason why you should go, uh, so that we can sort of, it's so that we can be around each other, so that that I don't have to dodge you at the school pickup line, so so that I don't have to worry about bumping into you. I will go to you. Now, one of the difficult parts about this is a quote I heard from Clay Scroggins. Reconciliation requires turning a confrontation into a conversation. It requires us turning what feels like a conversation or confrontation into a safe place of conversation and that's not usually easy. That one of the broken records I hear from people along with like I'm not good at names is oh conflict like I'm not good at dealing with conflict and it's like of course you're not good at dealing with conflict but as a follower of Jesus you have to figure out how to reconcile with people which means turning a confrontation into a conversation now, I'm not an expert at renovations, but I have dabbled in them, and we've done some here on our campus. Uh, and along the way, I've sort of learned a few things. So let me share some of these, because I think they all relate to our point. Renovations always cost you more than you think. Like, you say, oh, that's only going to be about 10 k Well, it turns out to be 30 k k Renovations always take longer than you think. Uh, oh, that's only going to be about a week project. But some of you have had a week project going on for years, right? And the last thing... The tools you currently have are not the tools that you need to finish the task, right? Have you ever found that to be true? And in these ways, conflict and reconciliation are the same thing. That reconciliation always costs you more than you think. And closely related to that, the longer you wait, the more it will cost you. And Jesus actually spoke to this continuing in Matthew 5, verse 25. When you are on the way to the court with your adversary, settle your differences quickly. Otherwise, your accuser may hand you over to the judge who will hand you over to an officer, and you will be thrown into prison. And if that happens, you surely won't be free again until you have paid the last penny. And if you follow Jesus and try this, it will cost you something. But if you don't, it will cost you so much more. Uh, How many of you experienced that, right? On on either side, that that was really hard, but I'm so glad I didn't wait any longer. Or, I never did that, but I really wish I would have. And on top of that, reconciliation always takes longer than you think, that you sorta gotta carve out time in your calendar, set up a lunch, or drop by their house. And it will cost you time, but it will take you longer, the longer you wait. And finally, the tools that you currently have are not the tools that you need to finish the task. You probably don't have the tools right now, which actually points to the beauty of community. That this is the reason that life groups can be so powerful. Learning how to and how not to do something In circles from other people's story is priceless and this is how counseling and therapy can be so helpful sitting down with someone who can tell you here's how you should approach him or her so to recap when should I go you should go when you've been wronged or when you've wronged someone number two why should I go because you can't have the peace that God wants you to have with him with others or with yourself until you reconcile Number three, how should I go? Now, this one's a bit trickier because Jesus doesn't say specifically how we should go. But if you look at what Jesus says in Matthew chapters 5 and 18 and what Jesus demonstrated in his life, here are a few things about how we should go. Uh, 3A is sort of go first. Some of you need to go first like today, like don't wait another day. Because later on, Paul would actually say there's basically a 24-hour rule on this. Uh, 3b go directly go to the person and keep it between the two of you because when you have conflict with someone who do you tell almost anyone but the person you're in conflict with right we tell anyone who will listen except maybe eventually the person we have conflict with so you need to go first and you need to go directly and lastly go humbly and to go humbly means God is God and I'm not and go humbly meaning that you should keep in mind that you might not be right that you might not have all the information or all the details You might have misunderstood something, so you go humbly by acknowledging you need God's help and asking Him to help you. You go by saying, like, this is what I did wrong. This is how I was hurt when you said whatever or you did whatever. Can we talk about that? That going humbly means going with curiosity, not criticalness. Going asking questions. Go first, go directly, go humbly. So commitment number three. I will take the first step to go to the other person. To sort of clear a path to peace for us. And for me, and for God. And as we really with all rela- aspects of relationships, uh, this is really a reflection of our relationship with God. And isn't it a beautiful picture of the way that God chose to work with us in conflict with Him? That He went first. He came directly, and He came humbly. And God could have used any other metaphor on how to relate, how on how we are to relate to Him. He could have said, "Think of Me like a boss," or He could have said, "Think of Me like a neighbor," or like an uncle. He could have chosen anything, but He chose. And he says, think of me as a perfect heavenly father. Now, we all know what a broken father does because we see it or we've seen it or we do it all the time. But what does a perfect father do when kids fight? In fact, even most broken fathers want what a perfect father would want in that situation. He wants his kids to reconcile and for someone to take sort of the first step, right? To go to the other, to make things right. It doesn't matter who was wrong. He wants one of you to go first. He wants his kids to reconcile because they want peace. He wants his kids to go directly to each other to deal with the situation. And he wants his kids to go humbly knowing they can't see or understand everything. And he always wants to be in a relationship with his kids no matter what. That you are still my daughter or my son is what he would say. And of course I want to have peace with you because I sent my son to have to make peace with you and to sacrifice all for you. I will take the first step to go to the other person. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for giving us peace, offering us peace, doing so much to reconcile us with you. And God, you also sort of paved the way for us to make reconciliation with other people that you sort of demonstrated and taught about how we should go and make reconciliation with others. So God, would you help us to look at our own lives and look at those relationships that maybe we've sort of been dodging or avoiding or trying not to think about And yet their face or their name or something keeps popping up in our mind and we know we need to deal with it, but we haven't. Maybe they've wronged us or we've wronged them. But thankfully, you made it simple. Either way, we're supposed to go to them. So God, I don't know what that looks like for each of us, but you do. So would you help us to do something today to go towards that person? Would you help us to go humbly? Would you help us to go directly? Would you help us to go first before they ever even ask for it? And God, we ask that you just help us along the way because we can't do it on our own. It's going to seem too daunting. It's going to seem too hard. It's going to be too emotionally challenging. But God, you can help us. So God, would you help us to have peace about the decision that we made to to go? And Would you help us to know the words to say and how to go? And then God, would you please go with us and fill in the gap of what we can't do? Would you please help fix those relationships? Help us reconcile those relationships because you ask us to. And then would that help bring us peace with you, with ourself, and with others. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.